We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Well, I'd like you to look at this text that Charlie read to you in Mark chapter 11, verse 27 through 33. If someone said to me, you know, we've got a new day out there, Tom. Uh, Back at the Protestant Reformation, there was no debate over what truth was. It was the Bible. Be you a Catholic or a Protestant. It was the Bible. That was not an issue. It was what the true document said, how you interpreted it, that brought uh, people's ire up. Has that changed today? It has. It's not an issue of whether the Bible is uh, true or not. Uh, The great majority of Western culture has denied its very truth, not because they have reason to, but because we are just educated beyond our intelligence. Okay. And so this text answers the question, By whose authority should we believe in you? By whose authority? Reason? The senses? Science? Canaanite News Network? By what authority should we believe? It's called an epistemological morass. Pistis means knowledge. Epistemology is how you know something to be true. What's the method on metaphysical things? Not just the knowledge of the human body, but where the body came from, why it is diverse, where we came from, what is right, what is wrong, how do we know, what is a husband, what is a wife, what is gender, what is morality, who says, says who, and how do you know, what can you stand on, by whose authority are you telling me to believe something. Is that ever an issue? Only always. It's interesting that the Bible begins with epistemology. We live in a universe of space, of mass, and of time. Time, space, mass. In the beginning, that's time. God created the heavens, that's space, and the earth, that's mass. So, The Bible begins with it. Where does it come from? God created. Barak. Something out of nothing. There it is. We begin right there. If you're a liar and the father of lies, what do you have to create lies about? It's not stuff you can touch. You can see that. It's where it came from. That's why theology and philosophy are called the queens of sciences. You've got to know what's behind matter to ultimately give it meaning. Are you with me? And we're in a mess in our day. So, by whose authority? I'm always amazed at these biblical paragraphs. They'll be like seven sentences, but they explode like a claymore mine. And they just go out into all society with stuff that is answers. So, let's watch this. In verse 27, he came again to to Jerusalem. He's walking in the temple on Passover week, the last seven days of his life. The chief priest, that's Ananias. And his father-in-law, I'm sorry, that's Caiaphas and uh, his father-in-law, Annas. The priesthood of Israel was a passed-down kind of deal at that time. And so the priestly retinue of people, and then the scribes, those were the Pharisees that were escribir. What's that in Spanish? To write. They are the scriptorium, the writers, the scholars and then the elders, those are men of, that are landed Jews that are in the land that have been there the longest. They are the uh, guys of political power and money and authority. You ever seen this, this series, The Chosen? Whenever the chief priest, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the elders show up, it's always like a tour de force Everybody draws back. They look different. They act different. Everything about them is power. It's the KGB, all right? It's the Gestapo when they show up. They're power. And so here is this one Galilean, Jesus, and his boys, and here comes the man. Here comes the establishment. They're on him. And they came to him, and in verse 28, they ask a question. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? It simply means the authority to take this 
these cords of rope and drive out the animals and overturn the tables of the money changers and shut down temple worship. Who gave you this right? Are you a Pharisee? No. You a Sadducee? No. You a Herodian? No. You an Essene? No. Are you a zealot? No. Then what gives you the right to come in here and shut down worship? Well, the book of Malachi said, I wish that there was one among you that would shut the gates and quit uselessly kindling fire on my altar. And then it tells you in Malachi 3 who's going to do that. The Lord will suddenly come to his temple. And so only God can do this. And so what gives you this right? I think the Living Bible says, who the fat do you think you are to come in here and whop my donkey with them cords and shut down worship? Who are you? You little 33-year-old fellow, how old are you? Well, in verse 29, it's called turning the table. When you go from the defense to the offense, and Jesus does it in one sentence, and all of a sudden, he's going to put them on the defensive, and he's going to back them into a checkmate where anything they say can be wrong. Make a note, never get into an argument with somebody that part of his personality is called infinity, because he's going to outflank you at some point. Someone that is called the wisdom of God, don't argue with him. And that's what they're trying to do. And so he says in 29, I'll ask you one question. That's all. You answer me, and then I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? John the Baptist was he a divine prophet? Did heaven send him? Or was he a fraud and he was from men? Y'all know who C.S. Lewis is? Y'all remember the uh, kind of the theory of C.S. Lewis that you, with Jesus, you are forced to a radical decision. You can't say he's a good man, merely. That if you say that you are divine and you are, then you must be worshiped. If you say that you are divine and you're not, there's only two alternatives. That you're not divine, but you thought you were. To which he said, you are a lunatic on the level of the man who thought he was a poached egg. Or you are not divine and you know that you're not. Now you're a liar. And so you have to say, liar, lunatic, Lord. You have to come to a decision on him. And so Christ says, John the Baptist, who sent him? Was he divine or was he a fraud or was he insane? You tell me and I'll tell you whose authority I have. Uh, John the Baptist was prophesied called the forerunner. He was the one who baptized a huge number of people coming out looking for reform. He uh, saw the Spirit of God fall on Christ and the Father's voice, this is my son. His father, Zacharias, was the first to see the beginning of the new day of the angel Gabriel that said, you're about to have the forerunner who will go before my servant, the Messiah. His mother conceived beyond the proper time of life. God spoke to him, the one upon whom you see the Spirit descending and resting upon, this is my beloved son. He was called by Christ the lamp shining in a dark place. It was said by Malachi to be the one that restored the hearts of the fathers to the sons, the son to the fathers. He was going to bring revival to Israel. He denounced the Pharisees. You ever called any group of men a son of a snake? Well, he did. You brood of vipers. He denounced uh, Herod. He instructed tax collectors and soldiers as to proper conduct. And he declared Jesus as the last Old Testament prophet pointing to the Messiah. And he said, I must decrease, he must increase. He is called Elijah. And so this man that you have seen, uh, who sent him? By whose authority was he? Is he the final prophet of the Old Testament? Or is he a phony you stand right here and you tell me. And if you notice at the end of verse 30, he says, answer me, because I don't think they were willing to answer. He had backed them into a corner. Jesus could have said, checkmate. 
There's no way that you can go. And so in verse 31, they turned to each other and began reasoning. If we say from heaven, then he will say, why did you not then believe? If he was divinely sent and he pointed to Messiah and said, this is the Messiah, then you should be among my followers right now. You're going to have to get consistent with what you believe. If you believe John, then you would believe me. John spoke of me. So get in here with the 12. Incidentally, were there a couple of Pharisees that did that? Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. Only two. Were there any priests? No. Not until Acts chapter 6. Were there any Sadducees? No. Was there any Zealots? One, Simon. So the Jewish aristocracy was not quick to follow. And in verse 32, but if we say from men, they're afraid of the people. For everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. If we say that he is not heavenly sent, then we're saying that he's an infidel. He's a false prophet. And we all, the common men, responded to the common grace that God showed them. And so either way, we're either in rebellion against God or we are in rebellion against the nation. We're guilty either way that we go. That's why I say don't get into arguments with with the divine humans. And so in verse 32 or 33, we don't know. And Jesus said, neither do I. I will not tell you by what authority I do these things. You want to know what authority he came in. He came in the authority of the Bible. John the Baptist was the finality of the Old Testament record pointing to me. Whose authority do I come in? God's and the authority of the Bible. That's where I come. Of which John is the final prophet. And if you won't own up to that, if you will not acknowledge what the Bible says, then I will not open the door of enlightenment as to who I am. You have to acknowledge that God has spoken. And until you do that, I'm not going to tell you. Jesus said in John 5, He that believeth in me has set his seal to this, that God is true. God is true. Steve, when did you become a Christian? 1971. You believed the Word of God. And he's a college professor. But he had to say, there are things I don't know that God knows, and I recognize it. He says, it's Jesus, and I believe. You set your seal to this, that God is true. Don, how old were you? Uh, 26. 26. What's the problem? Okay. 26 years of rebellion. And you became a Christian, and you said, God's word is true. And I believe in his son. It's ipso facto. The written word, the living word. Both of them had a human communicator. Men, Mary, both had divinity, the divine word, the divine son. Both let us read and see God in a way that we could appropriate it. And so when you believe in Christ, you must say the authority of the Bible. And that's what we all did. And so, why is this an important message? I'll tell you why. If you're a student of history, if you're a student of philosophy, this is the most important lesson. When you study in school about matter and mathematics and mechanics and material things that you can put your hands on, you can learn those things and go get a job. As a technician, as a a doctor, you can fix bodies. And that's very important. Can you, however, go to college and learn all about math, algebra, science, astronomy, uh, nature, and everything? Can you learn all of this stuff that you can put in microscopes and telescopes and still get three doctorates in those things and turn around and ruin your life? Can you? Yes, because you've dealt with material things, you haven't dealt with meaning. Where did they come from? What do they mean? Why? What is man? What is conscience? What is evil? How is it removed? 
How can we know with finality that I can stand behind physical things and say, these things are true? What's the apparatus that you can tell us who God is? What's the apparatus that you can tell us the invisible nature of man? What's the apparatus that you can declare what is right and wrong? If you don't know meaning, your life comes apart at the scenes. That's why in Jewish education, it's 100% theology. Because if you know your Bible and if you know God, then you can make it in life and just learn as you go. Most of our knowledge, we, we forgot within 24 hours anyway. Okay, I'm sorry, Steve, but that's how we did. A good student forgets later than a bad student. And so the most important thing in the world is the metaphysic, what is above the physical, what is true. That's why philosophy and theology are called the queen of the sciences. You can't make it without it. Where does the Bible begin? In the beginning, God. Time, space, mass, God. Where does man come from? Chapter two, in the image of God. Where does evil come from? Chapter three, rebellion against the nature of God. Where does the solution come from? The seed of woman, Christ. Well, Christ the serpent's head. The Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, Genesis 3.15, it's God will save. What is the standard for right and wrong, the divine law? This is just. What is a man? This. What is a husband? This. What's a family? This. What's a male? What is a female? Is there a little problem on that today? It's this. What's the future hold? Here it is. How is the past interpreted? Here it is. And so the Bible majors in this. And the only way you're going to learn it is you have to begin with humility. That I am, Proverbs 30, I am more stupid than any man. I don't have the knowledge of God, nor does anybody. Mortimer Adler, one of the great educators, said that the problem with our day is we have too many people in college. Would you agree with that, C? Yeah. He said you should not, he said you cannot teach a teenager because teenagers are just too young and too healthy and too pretty. The only precursor to learning is humility that you've got to know that you're stupid. And that generally comes in time. And so the Bible offers you answers, but you have to admit you've got to be poor in spirit to want to learn. And that can be a problem. That's why there are no great teenagers mentioned in the Bible. Did y'all know that? <laughs> there aren't. If they're teenagers, we got to wait on Joseph and David and the like to grow up and get their head screwed on. All right. You're always told to flee. What kind of lust? Flee. What kind of lust? Youthful lust that young people do because when you're old, you can't lust no more. <laughs> don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. And so what is it that is the apparatus by which men can believe? Is it reason? Is it the senses, what you can test? How do you know your reason is true? How do you know that what you think is ultimately true? Who is behind you to say this is true? Did y'all ever have a philosophy class where the prof said, how do you know that you really exist or that you're not a uh, daydream in the mind of an iguana on a beach? Did y'all ever have that? <laughs> North Texas. Okay, I heard that. In other words, what's behind you? Have you ever had a dream that you knew was real, but it wasn't? You ever fight in your dreams? You ever, my, and when I dream, I can't slug. Does anybody have that problem? I'm attacked and I can't hit. All that can hit is my right leg. I can kick like crazy. And so periodically, I whomp my wife. <laughs> Boom! And I just know it's real. But it ain't. And so that was the argument. You think something's true. How do you know that you're not a daydream in the mind of an iguana? Who can stand behind you and say, this is true? You think it's true. How do we know it's true? That's called the epistemological morass of humanistic philosophy. Well, I tested it and my senses tell me. How do you know what your senses felt? Well, I thunk about it. Again, how do you know that you're not an iguana feeling things on the edge of a beach? Uh, well, it's by intuition. It's by how you feel things. Mr. Rousseau, y'all ever heard of the French Revolution? That's how it started. Truth is not rationality. It's how you feel about things. You ever feel stupid things? 
Yeah. You ever been married? <laughs> and you have feelings that are self-destructive sometimes? How about pragmatics? That's what the Americans contributed to philosophy. It's what works, what's utilitarianly solid, what's the best for everybody. Can sometimes the majority want to do what's wrong? Sure. And so, or do we just end up like French existentialists? That there is no God, there is no right, there is no wrong. Man has the ability to choose, man determines right and wrong. And that led ultimately to Friedrich Nietzsche, that ultimately led to Adolf Hitler, and to communism, and to Chairman Mao, and all the rest. The horror of the 20th century. So all have been tried, but it's never final. Are you with me? This text is a claymore mine. It goes off. By whose authority can we say that a man is from God to tell us you're going to hell if you don't believe this? Who are you to say this? That's the question of our day. It wasn't the question of the Reformation. It is the question since Rene Descartes. Y'all remember him. He was the French soldier that had seen all the bloodshed of the 30 years war of Protestants and Catholics. And he said, we've got to have a system of belief that is not biblical because we kill each other. And so he went into his room and he sat and he thunk. And he, what he understood is that I doubt. If I doubt, I think. And if I think, therefore, I am. I think. <laughs> That's where it started. One historian said, happened to be a church historian, he said the darkest time of human history was when Rene Descartes went in his room and he came out with this domino. It's rationalism. Who are you? It's empiricism, Mr. Locke. Who are you? Rousseau, it's romanticism. Who are you? It's nihilism. Who are you? It's existentialism. And we just kept falling. You ever watch that great Christian show, The Beverly Hillbillies? <laughs> it was during the 60s, and it was a really interesting show. You have people growing up in the hills of Tennessee in conservatism that are taken to Beverly Hills and two cultures, the old and the new, come together. You have in the Clampets one person that is radically old-fashioned and they have to drag her in her chair and put her on top of the Model T. Who is that? Granny. She don't like nothing about it. That's me, Kendall. Okay, that's who we are. And then you've got someone that will go for anything new. He will be a double knot spy. He will be a fry cook or a trolley car conductor or a brain surgeon. Who are we talking about? Jethro. Okay. Many of you have never watched that, and that's why your life is struggling. <laughs> All right. Jethro. We've got an existentialist, and we've got a reactionary Kentucky or Tennessee woman from the early 1900s right here. And there's one that is pulled both ways. It just depends who speaks the most. She doesn't really have a mind of her own. She's a blonde. <laughs> who are we talking about? Ellie Mae. She'll go either way. She's the current generation. And then there's the priest. And he stands in the middle. He loves his mother-in-law. He loves his nephew, Jethro. He loves his daughter. And he's got to mediate between good and evil. Who is it? Uncle Jed. And that's an interesting show because we're watching the tension take place. And that's always, that's been a world history. Says who? I'm an atheist. You think this all came from nothing? Yeah. Says who? Stephen Hawking. Who's he? Did he have a birthday? Yeah. So he's a human. How do you know? 
Where can you get me somebody that's an observer that is eternal that can say, this is true because I made it. That's the only way you can have absolute truth. By whose authority do you do these things? Answer, the Bible. Now, is this a text that deals with our day? It's dealt with every day. If you want to go to Africa and preach, Rhodesia and preach, and Borneo and preach, and L.A. and preach, and Austin. By whose authority do you say the Bible? And it's not simply that it's the Bible. This is a self-authenticating book. You don't have to prove it. It is... Uh, only the Bible that sets forth a deity that is real. You say, when a guy tells me all religions are basically the same, he's just told me he doesn't know anything about religion. You want to be a Hindu? Hinduism doesn't have an infinite personal God. It believes that everything that is material is God. There is no right and wrong. Wrong is merely an illusion called maya. It's all the same. You have an illusion that you're a, a diverse entity, that you're separate from this thing right here. That's because of maya, the illusion. You're no different than that. And what will find you ultimate peace is quit trying to find peace. Everything is one. Hum, okay? And that's Hinduism. Uh... Buddhism says there is evil. That's what Gautama said. And it comes from man's body. Good. It comes from his lust. Go, Gautama. And the way that you remedy that, how, Gautama, turning to the infinite personal God? No. It is by meditating and having your wicked body go into a state of nothingness that we call, anybody from California? Nirvana, it's nothingness that you don't feel anymore. That's Hinduism, it's an atheist religion. And then you've got Islam that has an infinite God, but he's not personal. And he is fatalistic. That, and your, your job is to kill everybody and bring everybody under its dominion. And so it is Judaism and Christianity that has a God that is infinite, the standard of all things, but he's personal. He's father Son and Holy Spirit. He gives a book that you can test historically. There is a Tigris and a Euphrates in Genesis 1 and 2. There we, we see nature and animals and men and birds and fish just like he created. He said that Jonah went up to Nineveh. We can find a Nineveh that the Edomites lived in Petra. We can find a Petra. We can find a Herod. We can find a Bethlehem. All the things of the Bible are not spoken in some big helium beyond this world idea. They fasten down to places and people and time and space from Genesis, the beginning, all the way through to Revelation, the end. It's set in time and in space. So this is a an intuitively known God and a self-authenticating Bible. You don't have to have anybody behind it to say it's true. You know it's true. God is intuitively true. It goes like this. The wrath of God, Paul said, is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Y'all know who Francis Schaeffer is? I heard him speak when I was a 28-year-old in Dallas at the How Should We The Alien Conference. And I remember him reading that verse. And Schaeffer is speaking into the 70s, 
that are reeling from the 60s when we ran out of philosophy. There's no more philosophy being spoken. We've run out of answers. Now every man just does what's right in his own eyes. And I remember Francis Schaeffer in his knickers, his lederhosen, and his little goatee, and his 80s getting up and reading that text from Romans and looking at that Dallas crowd packed into here, showing those films, walking from Descartes and Alexander the Great, Greece, Rome, the present time on at the, at the implosion of Western society because of its denial of the God who is there. And he read that text, and I remember him. He's a left-hander. He had that left hand. And he said, so that they are without excuse. And it was frozen. It was quiet. Him saying, God is not that complicated. He is self-evident. Only the Bible speaks of an infinite personal God. And that if you obey who he is, you are moral you are a good husband, you're a good wife, you're a good father, you're a good son, you're a good citizen, you're a good ruler. You're a good businessman, you don't murder, you don't lie, you don't steal, you don't cheat. In this community, you leave your keys on the dashboard and nobody will take them. You leave your house unlocked because nobody will go in because it's wrong, absolutely wrong. It exalts love and grace and kindness and all the like. And so this is the only God that man can live with, and this is the only book that speaks of him in a, in a knowable way, a negotiable way, that it speaks of eternal, unprovable things that is spoken in the context of these things that anchor it called time and space and history and people, that you can measure it. And so we have a self-authenticating book. By whose authority? By the Bible. You know, when I was a, a younger Christian, I guess I was about 29, and I was in the ministry in a day that apologetics was everything, that you had to do pre-evangelism because people did not grant the fact that there was an infinite God. And so I studied philosophy because I didn't want to be caught up short with somebody outflanking me. And, of course, that's a lot of stuff to learn for a phys ed major. Okay. And I picked up a book by a guy named Colin Brown, Z-O-L-I-N, Colin Brown, in a varsity press. And he wrote a book called The Christianity, The Christian and Philosophy. And what he said was transforming to me. He said, people don't become Christians because you answer all of their metaphysical questions. They become Christians because they accede to what is undeniable, and that is unity and diversity and the dignity of man and intuitive right and wrong and intuitive love. They accede to what is there. And the Bible is self-authenticating. When you read it, there is nothing like it. Thy word is truth. And he said, the problem that Christians get into is when they study philosophy and they think that they have now a human system of rationale, and they end up putting the God of the Bible on that thing, and that thing becomes the Procrustean bed. Y'all ever heard that term? Procrustus was a Greek uh, robber, and when he would rob you, he would put you on his bed, and what didn't fit on his bed, he would cut off. The Procrustean bed is where you have a sense in yourself of philosophy, what's right and wrong. And when you go to the Bible, you take things that don't necessarily fit your human thinking. Can we ever think stupid stuff? And you start lopping off the things of the Bible that don't fit. And Colin Brown said, the authority of God is intuitive. You know he's there. And he is explained by the Bible that is self-authenticating. So that when you come to a church... He said, you don't have to be a philosopher. You have to do what Paul said, preach the word. The Bible is its own interpreter. God is his own interpreter. What is God like? It doesn't matter what you think he's like. Who does God say he is? And the Bible is self-authenticating.
there was a fellow back in the 40s, 50s, a young evangelist from North Carolina named Billy Graham. He was the evangelist for Youth for Christ, and he began seeing the growth of neo-orthodoxy and liberalism, the challenging and the procrustean bedizing of the Bible. And he had a guy that was with him in the ministry named Chuck Templeton that was the lead-off man of, of fire among young uh, youth for Christ. Billy Graham was coming behind him. Chuck Templeton abandoned his faith and became an agnostic disc jockey in uh, Canada. And Billy Graham, it shook him to his roots. He, he was an anthropology major in college. And so he began to doubt his Bible because he couldn't answer society simply by what the Bible said. He couldn't find the answers outside of the Bible that would somehow stand, and it shook him. Until he just said, God, your son never faltered on the truth. He just quoted it. Uh, the Bible says 5,800 times it's the Word of God. Do y'all know that? 5,800 times. And he said, Lord, I'm going to trust you that if you're God, you can reveal yourself, you can preserve the truth, and it will show up in reality, and I'm going to trust you. And at that point, that's when you began to see him, when he'd get up to speak and have that old floppy Bible in his hand, and he would say, the Bible says, and that was the beginning of the takeoff of Billy Graham, when he would stand on the Bible. W.A. Criswell's autobiography was called Standing on the Promises. How is a person saved? You're saved by seeing around you the glory of God and knowing that it is not an accident. That is called common grace. The heavens tell of the glory of God. You know within yourself that you have dignity in a way that you want people to treat you. You may say that you're an atheist until somebody runs the yellow light and hits you and will not play, pay collision. Then you become a Baptist real quick. You know what I'm saying? You want a judge to rule rightly at that moment. You may be an atheist until a guy wants to take out your daughter. And then you've got rules and you threaten his life. Okay. Because you want your daughter to be treated in a certain way. And so you can act atheist, but you can't react atheist. You react a, a creature in the image of God. And so... Uh, we have common grace that alerts us to God, both in what we see and who we are. But does that save us? No. To know how we get to know that God and what evil is and how it's atoned for, we go beyond general revelation to what is called special revelation. The Bible tells us his name, where history started, how it fell, the nation that would provide us the truth, the Messiah that would come and die and rise, and the epistles it defines and opens up the door on who Christ is, and here he is coming back. And so we have the gospel preached to us that is specific revelation. Will we then respond? No, because man will not embrace a system that condemns him. And so when man sees God, when man hears the gospel of God, he intuitively says no. Because that causes me to bow down and admit that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. And I can't buy that. See, for a man to be saved, God has to take his hand and rip his chest. He has to rip it up and down. That you can't reach me, that I came to you in my word and my son. He's got to rip you vertically right here. And to come to me, you have nothing in your hand. All men are equal. They're all on a level plane. So we rip it across here. So you've got a rip and a rip. And Hinduism won't fix it. Buddhism won't fix it. Idolatry won't fix it. Atheism won't fix it. Nothing will fix it except the Bible and the God who is there. And that is the, the uh, what does Jeremiah call it? It's real good, okay. <laughs> the poultice of your soul, the healing balm. Oh, is there a balm in Gilead? Is there no balm in Gilead? Here's the balm. And only Christ will come from heaven to earth and let me come to him on nothing that I have done but on the grace of God. 
can all come to him by the grace of God? It's a horizontal line. Everybody can. It's leveled at the cross. Man won't believe that because he has to admit that he's stupid and he is helpless. Someone has to come right in the middle between those two and show us who God is. Show us the life we should have lived. Die for what we did. Vindicated by rising from the dead then explains us. That has to happen. Nobody approaches that. But we won't do it. We are like people on the edge of the royal gorge. You ever been to the royal gorge? It'll make all your organs draw up into a little place about this big if you walk over it. It's like a mile down. And we're all doing handsprings in a fog on the edge of the royal gorge. You should be terrified, but you're not because you're blind. Salvation is when the wind blows and the fog is gone. And all of a sudden you see yourself that I'm in trouble and you leap to solid rock. The wind frees your will. You don't have a free will. You have a freed will upon the elect of God. And you become saved by the precipitous power of God to show you for the first time the truth. And then the Spirit of God reveals to us our sin, reveals to us our solution, and creates faith. I know not how the Spirit moves, convicting men of sin, creating no, revealing Jesus in God's Word, creating faith in Him. I know not, but I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that He is able to keep what I've entrusted to Him until that day. And so, God is His own interpreter. All you Denton Bible folks that hold to your Bible, by what authority do you do this? God said, and beyond Him you cannot go. If you can't say God say, you have to say Rene Descartes says, or Jean-Jacques Rousseau says, or somebody in Austin says. You've got to stand on God. Jesus said, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he spoke to them the things concerning him in all the scriptures. Were not our hearts burning on the road when he explained to us the scriptures? Oh, foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets said would come to pass. John 5, here's my, one of my favorite three verses in all the Bible. Just listen to this. The Father who sent me, he has testified of me. And you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You guys won't believe what he said. You do not have his word abiding in you because you don't believe in him whom he has sent. You denied the point of the lance, me, and thus all the lance that pointed to me, you have denied it. Jesus said, you search the scriptures. You think that in them you have eternal life. You're going to find in the scriptures the rung to earn your way to heaven. He said, it is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me that you might have eternal life. By whose authority? The Bible. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. For Moses spoke of me. If you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my word? Do not think that I came to annul the law, but to fulfill it. Not a jot and a tittle will pass away until all is fulfilled. My favorite is in Luke 16. The rich man and Lazarus. And Lazarus, they place him before his gate because he's rich. And according to the law of God, he should care for his brother, his Jewish brother. But he lets the dogs come and lick him and won't do anything. And Lazarus, the poor man dies. And the rich man dies. And the rich man goes to Hades in torment. And the poor man is in Abraham's bosom. That's an eating setting. When you eat in the Bible, you don't have a chair. You get on your left elbow and you eat with your right and the guy over here is on your bosom. And so it's a meal. Aren't you glad? You eat and you don't get fat in the Bible. And so he sees him at, in Abraham's bosom. Lazarus finally gets a meal with God. And the guy in hell, 
We don't know his name because the wicked God knoweth from afar. We don't know his name. He said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus down here and to dip his finger in water and cool off my tongue. I'm in agony in these flames. It's called a chiasm. He ended up just like Lazarus, desperate for somebody to feed him. Send him down here. And Abraham said, I'm sorry. There's a gap fixed between you and I. He can't come to you and you can't come to him. Your choices are final. There ain't no purgatory and there ain't no karma. It's done. You don't get a second chance. There's no reincarnation. It's done. He can't come to you. Well, then send him to my brothers because I got five brothers that are as stupid as me and they won't listen to the Bible. Send him. And Abraham said, no, I don't need to send him. They've got Moses and the prophets. They've got a book that tells them about God and sin and righteousness. Oh, but if you send a man from the dead, then they'll listen. And Abraham said, no. If they won't listen to the Old Testament, they won't listen to a man raised from the dead. That is a prophetic parable. Israel rejected Christ because they would not acknowledge the truth of the Bible. You know, one of, my, one of the most impacting theologians of all time is a guy that you shouldn't read him, but his name's Karl Barth, uh, early 20th century. He, he was a neo-Orthodox guy. He did things better than the liberals, but he wasn't a full, full circle conservative by any sense. But Karl Barth said something once that was really interesting when he came to the United States to lecture. He was this impactful theologian of Western Europe. And the reporters would come to him and ask him questions. And one asked him, uh, Dr. Bart, in all of your studies, what's the most profound thought that you have ever read? He said, I can tell you immediately. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Jesus, God in the flesh, whoa. He loves. God's just not a force. He's a person that begets humans that are in his image. Jesus loves, and he doesn't just love the world. He loves me. He loves present tense. He loves me. And I know this because the Bible that speaks of him, it tells me so. I have answers on a God that loves me. What's the deepest thing you've ever read? Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Isn't that good? We need a song. <laughs> Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. You know whose song that was his favorite? Francis Schaeffer. That was his favorite song. Father in heaven, I think of the emperor's clothes. Charlatan said, I'm going to make something so beautiful for you, but only the brilliant can see it. And everybody had to concede to that lie of attesting to what they had no clue about just because people said it would make them smart. Until a child simply said, there's nothing there. And the truth was known. And we live in a world of the emperor's clothes. Whether it's educators, whether it's science, whether it's commercialism, 
whether it's philosophy, whether it's psychology, whether it's sociology, all of these ologies to replace the Bible. And the Bible simply says that he is the God who is there and you know he's there. And this is the book that speaks of him and you know it is. Your problem is resistance to the truth because no man comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Thank you that in your sovereign grace you came into the homes and the businesses and the colleges that we lived in and some of us the jails that we were occupying, some of us the prisons we were in. And you simply showed yourself to us and you brought us to our knees. And then you who came into the world came into our hearts, just like you said you would. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Thank you. And I pray as we are in a world that is confused about gender, sexuality, the home, male and female, race, society, that when we are, our kids are challenged, what pronoun are you? That their answer would be, I am who the infinite personal God made me. You may have lost consciousness of him, but I have not. And he made them male and female. And I will rest in the Bible, thank you. And that's who I am. Daniel made up his mind. He would not defile himself with the king's choice food. That's to an idol. And I won't go there. I am a believer in the true God. And so give us that encouragement, Lord. The same that Francis Schaeffer had, Billy Graham's had, that Martin Luther had. I will stand on the Bible. In the name of the one of whom the Bible predicts and embellishes and glorifies Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.